Good morning, Renaissance. Good morning, Renaissance. If today is your first day here, I apologize. Sorry, it had to be me who was the one that was preaching today. So if you want to leave, I understand. But I do hope we have a good discussion this morning. Um, but if you are visiting, uh, please know that we are journeying through our sermon series called The Invitation. Uh, and The Invitation is where we have been examining Jesus' work at the dinner table, which is why we are having community dinners. As you heard in the announcement, July 1st is the deadline. Please make sure you sign up. Uh, I do have some sad news. This is the first time I am back in the pulpit sharing, <sighs> uh, preaching, sharing the word uh, after my dad has passed. Um, May 14th, for those who don't know, May 14th, 2015, I lost a hero. And uh, it's been tough. It's been really tough. I lost a man who changed the trajectory of my life. I lost a friend. I lost a, a father, a present, uh, both emotionally, spiritually, and physically present father. Um, and my family and I are taking it one day at a time, but it has been, um, it's been pretty difficult. A lot, of, a lot of the mourning has happened internally, um, but it's been really difficult. And I was talking to Jordan recently, and um, for those who don't know, Jordan uh, lost his late wife to cancer, and my dad passed from mantle cell lymphoma, which is a really, really rare case of cancer. And um, I don't know if you've ever lost anyone uh, to cancer, but uh, it just eats away at your body. And your day-to-day -day activities and your extremities are just impacted greatly. And a lot of times, oftentimes, right after uh, my dad passed, all I could remember was those last couple days when he couldn't breathe, when it was difficult for him to eat when he lost his hair, when he lost a ton of weight. And I would get frustrated, like, I spent 34 years with this man, and all I could think about is these last couple weeks. And, and again, Jordan's been really helpful in that process, kind of saying, man, you gotta, you gotta be comfortable, you gotta be okay with yourself. You gotta give yourself some grace. Uh, because those last couple days are really intense. Those last couple weeks are really intense, and um, I've been doing that, giving myself the space uh, to remember again. And I've begun remembering the good things. The times when uh, he would drive, uh, he, he, was a, he, he, he drove taxis for a little while, don't laugh, don't laugh. Uh, he, he retired from transit of like 25, 30 years working with transit. Uh, he also worked with Chase Bank. But uh, I remember the times when he taught me how to drive and he would, he would do these incredible beats. He, is anybody ever familiar with, familiar with Sade? Y'all know Sade? Yeah, right? Y'all remember Sade's band? Oh my gosh, right? Like that band was amazing. And he used to think he was in the band. So at the dinner table, he would do beats on the table and he used to do this thing with his thumb and I thought he had like a mechanical thumb. It was like the best thump I've ever heard in the world. Like I don't, I don't know how he did that. Uh, but I find myself copying a lot of those 
same idiosyncrasies, a lot of those same mannerisms, even the times, uh, the funny faces he would make at my mother, those endearing times, and I find myself doing that with my wife. And man, those things bring back uh, very, very big smiles, and it make, does my heart well. The cool thing is, my dad and I were close. We were really close. Um, he wasn't just someone who worked or disciplined me. He was a friend. He was a hero. He was a role model. For all the fathers in the room, please don't negate the modeling that you do before your children. Um, man, it becomes something that children cling on to. Um, but we were close. And oftentimes, our relationship looked like me sitting at his feet, literally, learning, getting wisdom. Um, I remember the many countless times that he stopped my mother from beating me or spanking me for some, right? I don't want to make it seem, you know, it's 21st century. You got to be careful. But, you know, a black household, household discipline uh, traditionally. <laughs> I'll say it that way. Um, I remember the times he, he prevented that from happening because we would go to the car and and he would talk to me, or we'd go up in my room, and we would talk, and we would share life, and he would, he would shape my worldview. Uh, and so we were really close. And the cool thing is, him getting sick opened up the door for us to get even closer, for us to develop, develop a deeper intimacy that I had never experienced with him before. See, see my dad was generally healthy. I, I really can't remember a time other than the time when he was juicing and he was cleaning his system and he took way too much and he like, you know, had a bad experience. Other than that, I really don't remember him ever physically being ill. So I've always had him physically showing up to my games. And, but this time when he was a little uh, unable to move as much, you know, all we had was our time together, our, the moments that we would share over meals or at his bedside. And it was an opportunity for us to develop this deep, close intimacy that I had never seen. In the last few days, I watched my dad actually pull from me. We had a ton of faith conversations, and, and he began to look at me like a spiritual leader, or at least a contemporary, because he shared things with me that I know he didn't share with my, my mother or my sisters. You know, he shared things about manhood, he shared things about what he was wrestling with in his faith. And man, that, that drew me closer, and it was such an honor. And I can sit here, stand here today, and I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, after the experience of my father passing, Jesus wants to have a close and intimate relationship with us. And here's how I know, because my dad would always... He, it's like he pulled back the curtain and said, Aswan, come a little closer. I mean, he shared things about him and my mom that I've, that I've never heard him articulate ever in my life. He shared things about where he was in his faith and what God meant to him. Man, and he, it's like magnetically he was pulling me a little closer, knowing, um, I remember the Lord said to him, uh, no matter what time you have left, get to know me more. And when he shared that with me, it became so amazing. It just became the bedrock, like no matter whether death came or not, what we were going to do in this time that we had, we were going to get closer to Jesus. And it was like as he was doing that, he was drawing me closer to him. 
Renaissance, I believe Jesus desires and wants to be in close relationship with us. So we transition to our scripture that we read in Luke. Our passage this morning is a peek into Jesus and his disciples developing this intimacy. They had watched him heal, raise people from the dead. They watched him do all these kind of miracles, but now they were going to watch him be crucified. And Jesus was fully aware what was about to happen. And what does he do? He invites them to a meal. Listen to this. Go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat together. I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus was eager to eat with them. See, don't take this meal lightly. This was the last meal Jesus would ever have on earth. And what does he do? He invites his disciples, not Mary, not Joseph. The scripture doesn't tell us where they were at the time. He invites those he has been living life with to have what is affectionately known as the Lord's Supper. See, think about it this way. Imagine if Jordan and I stood up at the end of service and said, hey, everybody, let's head to the cafeteria for Soul Food Sunday. Y'all would cheer first, right? Who likes Soul Food Sunday? Did y'all have a good time? All right, all right. For those who haven't been there, we'll, we'll do it again at some point. Brandon will cook, and it'll be good. But imagine us getting up saying, hey, everybody head to the cafeteria. Soul Food Sunday, we have an amazing meal on Monday. You open up the Harlem Tribune. I don't know if that exists. So. But you open up the Harlem Tribune, and you read in it that Aswan and Jordan have been gunned down. We've been gunned down by the church police. They say that too many Renaissance members have been all across Harlem, changing Harlem for the sake of the gospel. Right? And we're... And, and, and you hear that someone from Renaissance actually was the person that told them where we were. But then later down in the story, you read, Jordan and I were fully aware that this was going to happen. And then it clicks. It was that Sunday. It was our invitation to Soul Food Sunday that represented our last meal. And we decided to share it with you. What would that mean to you? How would you feel knowing that our last meal on the planet, we decided to invite Renaissance to have it with us? Man, that's what was happening here. See, Jesus was setting up a Passover meal, and and for those who don't know, Passover is just simply uh, the tradition, the celebration of the death angel passing over all the Jews who had the blood of the lamb smeared on their doorposts. And it was a tradition, but Jesus was going far beyond this tradition, inviting them into an intimate place. See, I want you to remember that that this is called the Lord's Supper, but, but don't get it twisted. Jesus wasn't just trying to complete a meal or have this really cool time breaking bread and having wine. What Jesus was doing, the only reason Jesus came, and this is what he was solidifying, 
is so that you and I can have a personal, intimate relationship with God. That's why he came. So, so please, don't. He, re, he reclined. The bread was there. The wine was there. One who would deny him. One who would betray him. They were all there. And he was fully aware because he wanted to create this intimate moment. The last meal my dad and I had together was on Mother's Day. It was the best meal ever. And he loves shrimp. And he loves ribs and a whole lot of other foods. But we had it all there. Right, Heather? We had it all there. And I remember our last meal together, he prayed for us. Man, that's incredible. That's, that's the intimacy I want you to have in your mind. The scripture says in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. See, Jesus' purpose was to come introduce us to God so that we could have this personal and close, intimate relationship. And one of my spoken word joints, John, uh, I use this line, um, it was you, the reason why we hung up on the cross, man. It's you, the reason why I hung up for the lost, man. It's you, and he wants to keep you close. You were the reason why he died because you mean the most because it's you. He wants to protect you from the enemies. It's you, the reason he gave up his divinity. It's you, and he wants to rise to the top. See, you were the picture in his mind when his breathing stopped. See, we were the picture in Jesus' mind when his breathing stopped. So here's my question, Renaissance. Is your relationship with Jesus a casual one? Is your relationship with Jesus a casual one? Do you come to church mainly because of the social community? And that's good. I don't want to make that seem like it's the devil. Is your life filled with your ambitions and you're just asking God to bless them? Are you completely independent and you only need help when things get overwhelming? Or are you truly depending on God for the source of life, for the decisions that you have to make, for the way that you conduct yourself? Is your relationship with Jesus a casual one? Man, I would say it again. Jesus' desire is for us to have a close, personal, intimate relationship with him. But we have to redefine intimacy, yes? And I think we have to redefine intimacy because we live in a world where sex sells. And sex sells everything from water to soap, right? Or like baking soda. I seen a, I seen a commercial, this girl was like, oh, oh, oh. baking soda. I'm like, yo, really? Like, really? Baking soda? Come on. Like, we've gotten, man, we've gone way left. But the fact that we live in a culture like that, it has robbed us of the purity of the word. It has hijacked us. 
See, the definition of intimacy is a close familiarity or friendship. See, intimacy simply means a close familiarity or friendship. Again, unfortunately, we live in a culture where surface-level relationships thrive. And many of us have thrived on surface-level relationship, me included. And intimate ones get hijacked and convoluted by sex. Yes? Am I bugging? Focus on the family. There's an article uh, that they wrote, and here's a quote. It says, the author defines intimacy as the mixing of our life with another's, a mingling of souls, a sharing of hearts. This is something we all long for because it's how God made us. We are designed to connect. You and I, we were designed to connect. Anybody ever meet somebody, you're like, yo, we hit it off, right? We are designed to connect. That's how God set it up, which is why here at Renaissance, our mission, if you don't know, Sean, you should know, but I think you do know, Sean. Our mission is to introduce, I'm joking, our mission uh, is to connect people to Jesus Christ and to each other, to connect people to Jesus Christ and each other. Erwin McManus, in his book, uh, he wrote this. He says, sex can be the most intimate and beautiful expression of love. But we are only lying to ourselves when we act as if sex is proof of love. Too many men demand sex as proof of love. Too many women have given sex in hopes of love. We live in a world of users where we abuse each other to dull the pain of aloneness. We all long for intimacy and physical contact can appear as intimacy at least for a moment. But if, if you're like me, which I hope you are, not in a whole lot of ways, but maybe some, there are some challenges to intimacy for us. And see, one of the challenges, I think, is it takes hard work. It takes work. You got to put in that work, as they say on the streets of Harlem. Intimacy takes work. Are you familiar with the path of least resistance? Anybody familiar with that? The path of least resistance. Here's what it means, very simply, is that energy is going to go wherever it's easiest for it to go. Really simple. So here, here's an example of how it applies to us. You ever been in church and uh, you are listening and then you find your eyes just like closing? <laughs> is, that, is, that ever, is that just me? You ever had that happen? Like you're, you're like, oh snap, I was, I was sleeping. Right? Energy will go where it's easiest to go. You ever, you know, you ever tried to read the Bible and like you can you know, whether you've been to church a, a million times or today is your first time ever back in church again or you've experienced church hurt, you've ever tried to read the Bible and you start reading and you just like doze off. Or you remember that you were supposed to call somebody back. Now, any other time, you don't care if you don't call that person back. Right? But you read and you're like, oh, snap, I forgot to call Cece. Dang, let me call, let me call Cece. But you're supposed to be reading. See, energy goes where it's easiest for it to go. And you know what? When it's easy to blame somebody for your problems, you do it. 
When it's easy to talk about somebody rather than confronting them and explaining why they have offended you, you do it. When it's easy to just disregard the pain or act like everything's okay, you do it. Instead of facing the music and really dealing with your own emotions. See, intimacy takes hard work. See, it's easy to say, okay, well, God must be punishing me for something, so I'm a bad person, and not dig into maybe God is desiring more for you. Maybe God is saying, no, 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 don't turn around, come a little closer. Maybe you prayed for something and the answer was no, and you're like, you see, that's why I don't mess with this Christian stuff. They told me to go and pray about it, and this dude didn't even answer me. Like, I didn't even hear, I was talking to myself. No, maybe, maybe Jesus is saying, no, no, I want you to come a little closer. I want you to spend a little more time asking me. I love when you ask me. I love it. I love it. And there's some things that I want to tell you, and there's some things that we're only going to experience when we're in deep, close proximity with one another. See, the second thing, I think the second challenge with intimacy is it's uncomfortable. And we hate being uncomfortable, right? Like, we pay extra for comfort, yes? Like, in this culture, we, play, we pay extra for comfort. I remember getting on a plane, and I saw the upgrade for $50, and I didn't have to pay for the plane ticket. I used a company card. I was like, yeah, $50, guaranteed, doing it. I'm doing it. I want to be comfortable. It's a long ride. It's two and a half hours. Duh, like, I want to be comfortable. Man, we will, we will go out of our way to pay to be comfortable. And see, the challenge in being uncomfortable, it originates in the fact that we have to be vulnerable. See, intimacy says you got to put yourself out there. Intimacy says you have to be willing to open the vaults of your heart. You have to be willing to push past your pride. You have to be willing to put down your stereotypes and step forward and say, I'm all here. You have to be willing to go through the discomfortable times, even if they're silent or even if they're awkward situations. You have to be willing to sit in them to be intimate. But that's hard. Being vulnerable is hard. Why? Because we've been hurt. And one of the best ways to protect yourself from being hurt is never put yourself out there again. I'm not going to tell her I liked her. Like, you know, Heather had to, you know, she was vulnerable when she told me she liked me. And that's really why we got married. <laughs> I mean, she, that's what she, she, was, she put herself out there. Like, I didn't go seeking after her. No, I did. I looked her up on Facebook. I stalked her. I did, I did. But you got to be vulnerable to be intimate. Man, and I tell you, that's difficult for us as people. See, despite all that it's been robbed of, intimacy is actually a very beautiful thing. The byproducts of a close, personal relationship with Jesus will blow our minds. And I'm sure there are many, but today... What I've experienced after losing my dad, I've experienced two really deep, profound byproducts of being intimate and having a deep, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. The first 
is security. And security simply means the state of being free from anxiety or fear. Security means the state of being free from anxiety or fear. Man, I did not fear that my dad was going home to be with the Lord. I did not fear that if, I was, that, that if he did pass, that my family would just go in disarray. Man, we were fastened together. I was, I was shaped and molded. I was fastened together so that the trials of life, whenever they come, and the passing of my dad right now being the greatest one in my life, that I would have some sort of anchor. And it, it, it was a result of my intimacy with Jesus. And I would offer that to you. I would say, man, if there are things in your life, if there are times where relationships haven't worked simply because you're insecure, where you have chased an image because you're insecure, where you have filled your life with so many things because you're insecure, I would say the answer to that, the byproduct of being personally connected and intimate with Jesus is that you don't have to do that on a day-to-day basis. You're free from that. Have you ever been anxious about the next thing in life, graduating college or quitting the job because you know you actually hated it and you stayed there for five years longer than you wanted to and you were so anxious with life? Man, an intimate and close personal relationship with Jesus solves that. And that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Please don't hear that. But it does mean you can trust that there will be a sense of security, an internal, an emotional, a spiritual security with inside you that happens as a byproduct from being in a relationship with Jesus. The second is fulfillment. And fulfillment means realization or completion. And man, I tell you, for many years, I filled myself with things that left me empty. I chased after that young lady, or I chased after that position. Or for me in basketball, man, I chased after this status, and all too often, I was unfulfilled. Have you, ever, have you ever said, all right, Lord, it's time to pray. I need this job. Right, Sam? Like, I need this job. I need this job. If you give me this job, like, yeah. <laughs> all right, Lord, like, I prayed about it. Like, I need this job. You told, you told everybody in the neighborhood, yo, yo, pray for me. People you don't even know that pray. They're like, they're like Muslim. Nah, I don't know. But you t- you're like, yo, pray for me. I want this job. Pray with me. Like you calling people you've never seen in years. Yo, pray. Yo, I'm about to get this. I'm hoping to get this job. God is going to help me get this job. And then you get it. And it's not what you thought it was. And you're still not fulfilled. And you're still empty. Because I firmly believe that a close, intimate relationship with Jesus then gives us the fulfillment to enjoy the things that God has for us, to fully embrace the things that he has for us, to fully embrace the things that he says we can't have now. Man, I know there's some prayers I'm thankful he didn't answer. There are some things I'm like, yo, yo, listen, you are, listen. I'm just saying, I know what I was praying, I know what I was thinking, and I'm glad you didn't give that to me. Security and fulfillment are two beautiful byproducts of an intimate 
relationship with Jesus. So you might be asking how. How am I supposed to get this intimate relationship with Jesus? Let's turn back to the scriptures in Luke, in Luke 22, verses 17 through 19. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks for God to it. Uh, excuse me. He, then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, do this to remember me. See, if you were asking how, how do we develop this, this, this deep, intimate relationship with Jesus? I think Jesus was prepared for that question. Do you see the phrase, do this in remembrance of me in some translations? In the New Living Translation, it says, do, do this to remember me. Well, what's the this? What's the do this? I believe that this was the moment, the intimate moment he created over a meal with his disciples. I think that was the this. And we know symbolically the breaking of the bread was Jesus' body being broken. We know the wine represented um, Jesus' blood being poured out. And he was saying, this right here, this right here, remember this. This intimate moment that we shared, I want you to remember that. Second, it's a command. Do you see that phrase, do this in remembrance of me, do this to remember me, it's a command. It's not an option. Jesus is saying to you and I, do this. No, like what I've just modeled out, do this. See, for those of us in the room following Jesus, it's not hard. What's hard is why? And when we know the why is because the God of the universe took all his holiness all his majesty, all of his goodness, his kindness, all of his power, he put it in the body and came to earth just to have his last meal with you and I? That's why. That's why. He's saying, I desire to be close to you, and I know you can't come up to me, so I'm going to come down to you. That's why. Do this. Remember this intimate moment. Do this in remembrance of me. I love also that this phrase is ongoing. And some of the study behind this, the, the way, the, the way that, that, that phrase reads, in as many times as you partake in this meal, remember what I will do for you. See, they didn't know the cross was right around the corner, but Jesus did. So he's saying, in as many times to us as disciples who now have the book and we can read the story from start to end, now he's saying, in as many times... As you have this meal, this taunt, this moment around the table, remember me. So I believe Jesus wants us to create rhythms in our lives where we can develop and protect our intimacy with him. And notice I said rhythms and not rules. Notice I said rhythms and not rules. Notice I said rhythms and not rules. Man, I would hate for us as a church to get bound by rules of how we're supposed to develop our intimacy. So if we say, hey, you're supposed to read John 1, 
on Thursday and you miss John 1 on Thursday, you're like, man, see, I'm terrible. I can't do this. Man, that's not the heart. It's the rhythm of your life. Are you bopping to his goodness? Are you bouncing to his kindness? To how much grace he's had for you? Are you remembering that before you get on the train? After you get on the train? Before you go to work? After? Before the argument with your significant other? After? Before you, the time you sit down and you're just so, so mad about uh, the future of your life and your plans didn't come together? Are you remembering him? See, Jesus desires, I think, this, this rhythmic behavior of his disciples. And here we see at the Lord's Supper the foundation of that rhythmic, of those rhythmic behaviors. So there's no formula. But here are some suggestions of rhythms that could be a part of our spiritual training, right? So similarly, uh, there are times, I know Jordan's used this example. I love this example. Man, for, for, those, for the couples in the room, uh, you, when you want to go on date night, man, you protect it. You fight against things to make sure you, you go to date night. And why? Because you know that it protects the intimacy of the marriage, the intimacy of the relationship. For some of us, there are, there, are, there are certain perfumes we wear when we go certain places. Right? We, like, that's part of our rhythm. Oh, okay. Right? There's certain things we do rhythmically, rhythmically already in life to protect our day-to-day things. So, too, our relationship with Jesus. We should input these rhythmic things in our life to protect and guard and fuel our relationship with Jesus. Here's one. Read your Bible. <laughs> Read your Bible. And here's what I mean. I don't mean, okay, tonight I'm going to go. I'm going to try to crack this thing open. You throw it on your bed. Whatever opens up, you read it. You're like, yo, I'm good. Read my Bible. Somebody laughing. Y'all did, somebody did that before. And there's nothing wrong with that, Right? There's nothing wrong with that at all. But I'm saying, what are you doing rhythmically to engage the text? What are you doing in your life to engage God's word? Why? Because Jesus and his word are one. God and his word are one. If you needed to do a research paper, you would go get the research, right? You would go look up the information. Well, these 66 books are the information about Jesus and God and how we should interact with him and how he wanted to interact with us. Man, read your Bible. Here's a really cool tip. Proverbs has 31 chapters. The book of Proverbs has 31 chapters. And in any given month, there's at most 31 days. Yo, develop a rhythm. Read a proverb chapter a day. And if, if one month you don't get through all 31, so be it. Try again next month. Start back from one, though. Don't cheat. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Man, what if you did that? What if in your life, what if there was, what if there was a scripture that really touched you and you put it on your mirror? 
Man, what if there was a screensaver instead of selfies, right? What if, what if you put like just a text that we studied in service? I'm just saying, whatever the rhythm, the rhythm would be for your life, try it. Second, confession. Mmm, it's quiet in here. Confession. Yeah, and I'm saying make confession a rhythm. Here's why. Because the things that we are hiding on the inside, just like wounds, get pussy and infected. And our insides get infected. And this is no lie. This is a true story. I don't know if you're going to believe me, but I promise you this is a true story. I, a, young, a young person that, I, that I've been working with, I've been discipling, uh, he got into a situation that was, that was tough. And uh, he, he didn't know what to do. Uh, he didn't know who to talk to. And it was eating him up on the inside. So much so that he developed a rash all over his body, all over his neck, his arms, his legs, and I'm, I'm like, I'm talking with him, and I know our regular rhythms. We have check-ins. I'm like, bro, what's good? Like, are you okay? He came to my house. Heather and I were there to embrace him, and he just let it out, and he said he, he had an abortion. And the next day, I promise you, this is not a lie, the next day, the rash was gone. The whole, some people are like, nah, you bugging. No, I'm serious. The next day, everything was gone. No doctor's appointment, no ointment, no nothing. Everything was literally gone. Confession is food for the soul. Make it a rhythmic part of your life. None of us can live life independently. Serving others is the third one. And these are just my top three. I think serving others, serving the marginalized, serving the voiceless, being a father to the fatherless, a mother to the motherless, caring for the widows. Who's caring for them? Caring for the orphans. Who's caring for them? Man, there are orphans running around who, who have people at home, but nobody's caring for them. Some of them are young adults. Some of them are grown-ups. Some of them are teenagers. Who's caring for them? Who's, who's taking their privilege and using it to give someone without privilege equity? Who's doing that? Man, make that a rhythmic part of your life. I promise you, you will develop intimacy with Jesus as a result. I promise you it will protect and nurture and fuel this deep, intimate relationship with Jesus because you can't do any of these things on your own. One of the things I love about my role in Young Life is, man, I get a chance to walk alongside of people, and sometimes I have to give myself away. Sometimes I have to show up at a house and listen to a conversation that I think is foolish. But in service to them and giving my life away, man, I've developed the understanding that Jesus willingly died for me when he didn't have to. I begin to have this deep, intimate relationship with him as a result. In closing, I think one of the greatest rhythms we could have is communion. 
See, the Lord's Supper is where this all took place. See, Jesus reminded them of the the breaking of the bread and the pouring of the wine. And see, what he says is, when when you partake in this meal, specifically this communion meal, which simply means to share intimate conversation, to share intimate times with one another. That's what communing means. When you commune, when the disciples commune, when the body of Christ communes, what Jesus is saying, I want you to remember what I've done for you. For those of us who who are just trying out Christianity, what Jesus is saying is my, my body was broken for you, my blood was shed for you, so that you could have a deep, intimate relationship with me. You could have security and fulfillment in life. So come, come to the table. Commune. Jesus wants to be close to you and I. He commands us to do this in remembrance of him, to build spiritual rhythms in our life that remind us of what he has done for us. He willingly allowed his body to be broken and his blood shed so you and I can be in an intimate relationship with God. Jesus didn't pay a price for us to live life superficially with God, but a close, intimate walk. I pray today, I pray today that you begin to open the vaults of your heart, that you begin to, to, to be okay with being uncomfortable, to, to try hard to put spiritual rhythms in your life to remember that the God of the universe decided to have his last meal of his life with you. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. God, thank you for the truth about your your desire to be intimate with us. God, thank you that it's the knowing process. It's in the knowing you that we develop this intimacy. God, thank you for taking your holiness, your majesty, your power, your goodness, your love, your kindness, and putting it in the body of Jesus and coming to be with us, to pay a price you didn't have to pay to ransom a life. God, today, prepare our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.